Welcome to The Realtale Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Downs, the founder and CEO of The Realtale, and we're on a mission to improve retail customer experience, to measure website speed and design, quality of product information, cart and checkout experience, post-purchase communication, fulfillment and packaging, customer services quality, and overall sustainability of products and packaging. If you're interested in learning more about the Realtale Customer Experience Report, just go to www.itworks.company forward slash the Realtale, and there you can find more information and some examples of the Customer Experience Report. In this episode, we're going to be talking all things relating to payment as part of the e-commerce customer experience. Now, in my experience, the payment process is not well understood and is often underestimated in relation to the success of a website. Today, we're joined by Fran Herrera, Country Manager for Klarna, a buy now, pay later platform. Being completely honest, I've only met Fran on a handful of occasions, yet she's always impressed me with her industry knowledge and boundless energy and enthusiasm. So when it came to discussing payments, this was a great opportunity for me to spend some more time with Fran and also tap into a heap of experience that she possesses in this sector. Across the last six years, Fran has headed up Tomando and Zip before joining Klarna. Fran, welcome to The Real Tale and thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Paul. Lovely to be here. Cool. So... Can we start with some basics? Because in my experience, and I know we were talking briefly earlier, I think there's a sizable community out there that don't know how payments work, but they probably won't admit it. So how does money move from, I guess, for the process of moving money from, from an e-commerce site and then all the way up into my bank account? Because I'm, I'm kind of, I've got suspicion there's more than one step. So can you kind of talk us through what, what the steps are along the way? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think you're spot on. I think a lot of people think that it just miraculously happens, but there is quite an intricate process that that works along the way. And so what I'll try and do is just break that down into some small, basic bite-sized chunks, which hopefully help um, explain it. So I guess what it starts with is the actual sale. So a consumer will obviously click on a buy button and his or her payment details will be captured, if you like, by a secure payment gateway that then forwards that information to your payment processor. If I use an example in, in the Klarna business, we are actually the payment processor. So once we effectively receive that, then we ask the customer's card issuing bank uh, to verify whether the transaction is legitimate or not. And that's obviously a really important piece in the process, as we can all appreciate. From there, we then need to verify and authenticate. And effectively, what happens there is we will verify that the purchase on the consumer's account through what we call two-factor authentication or two-factor ID checks. And again, we do that to make sure that the person that you say you are is who you are um, to, to mitigate any fraudulent activity. Yeah. Once we're satisfied that we've obviously done that, that verification and authentication, we then look at how we authorise and advance the purchase. So what happens in that process is the customer's card issuing bank will effectively review the transaction before deducting the sales amount uh, from the user's account. If the transaction is rejected, then notifications are going to be sent to all relevant parties, including the customer and the payment processor, so that we're all aware that for whatever reason, that particular process was declined. If, of course, it's approved, then it moves into that approval process where effectively it's known that it's a legitimate transaction and the payment processor will notify the merchant of a successful sale, which all happens, as you know, in absolute milliseconds. And then, of course, we settle the funds into the merchant's account, which, again, um, the delays on that really are dependent on the bank that you you bank with, but the funds effectively show up as um, uh, officially received in, in your account at the end of that process. 
Right. There's quite a few steps there, isn't there? Let's. I'm just going to re. I'm, I'm just going to replay this to you just to make sure oh. I've got this right because I'm I'm one of the secret few that don't really get it. So, transaction in the account going through a secure payment gateway to the payment processor. Mm-hmm. And that payment process is first of all going to check that you're legitimate. So Paul Downs is who he says he is. He's legitimate and he's credit worthy, presumably. Correct. Then, so that's that one. Then there is a verification and authentic- authentication. So Paul Downs is credit worthy, so we know he is. Yeah. Um, and he is legit. Then this is legitimately him making this transaction. And then yeah. once that's done, that's passed to the bank. That will go. Yes, you've got the funds or not. Yes. Is that right? That's right, a card issuer. And that's either if I haven't got the funds, it's rejected and everybody's notified. And if I have got the funds, then everybody's notified that that transaction's happened and then the money is drawn down from the bank and then moved across to, and when you say settle, ultimately that means that turns up in the retailer's bank account. Correct. So it's drawn from the consumer's account into the uh, retailer's account. That's right. Okay. So there's lots, and as you rightly said, there's lots of those steps kind of go on almost instantaneously. But the settlement, but there is a period of time where the banks kind of hang on to your cash, presumably to make some money on it um, before they uh, move it. I don't think it's fair to say they hang on to make some money, but I think that the reality is that, you know, dependent on who the consumer banks with and, and who you bank with and, and any of the um, systems in the middle, um, it can take, you know, one to three business days for, for funds to transfer. Of course, yeah. there's a lot of work being done around um, expediting that process because, as we all know, merchants want their money as, as quickly as possible or retailers. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a lot of work being done across the industry, if you like, um, yeah. to improve that. And, and PayPal that. doesn't hold on to it for days. <laughs> well, you know, yes, I guess they don't hold on to it for days. And look, there, there's many that don't. Um, you know, yeah. it really does come down to who the two parties' um, common bank is. You know, in our case, we're yeah. partnered with CBA, so any retailer that banks uh, that we work with, it's it's same day next day settlement. You know, so it yeah. really is dependent on um, okay. you know a number of steps there. All right, great. Well, look, thanks for unpacking those steps. So, the, I guess the next question, which is the first part of your step is going through a you say secure payment gateway what is a secure payment gateway and do you need them because i've i have come across people that just kind of go oh i just connect directly into the bank so i'm kind of like oh so no payment gateway so do you need one what and what do they do well, I think why don't we just start with what the, the goal, if you like, of, of a gateway is. And, and ultimately, the goal of a gateway is to securely validate and transfer funds from a consumer's credit or debit card securely into the retailer's bank account in recognition for providing goods or services. So if, if we take that as, you know, the goal of it, then really the reason that you need one is because of the shift in, in online retail is now completely supercharged. There's a lot of people transacting online and there is a very tangible behavioural change that consumers are making looking for services which effectively offer convenience, flexibility and speed. So without a gateway, if you don't have this secure network that can validate and transfer funds quickly, the reality is it takes longer for your funds to then receive or be received by a a merchant. So if we think about something like BPay as an example, you know that it takes three days for the funds that are received by BPay to then be distributed to the energy company or or the telco or anything else. You know, as, as consumers are becoming far more savvy and looking for these frictionless experiences, they want that to happen instantly. And as such, gateways play a really important role in, in being able to securely transfer those funds. Okay. So in some ways then, so there's, there's speed 
I'm, I'm hearing is a, a, a key factor, but also that security. So for a retailer, this is almost like an insurance policy to underwrite your transactions. And presumably, as you say, especially during the course of this year, there's more and more transactions going online. So more of your income coming through that digital sales channel or digital digital sales channels, arguably ensuring that process has got to be the smart move. And if you don't have a payment gateway, A, it's not fast, and B, it's not as secure. Is that, is that a reasonable Absolutely. And I think if you, you know, if you look at buy now, pay later as, as a segment, the reason it's so popular is because we're actually wearing that credit and fraud risk for the merchant. So it's even more appealing to the merchant, um, you know, to utilize products like us. And for a consumer, it's appealing because obviously they can have their money sitting in their bank account working harder for them while they use products like buy now, pay later to, to enable them to get what they want quicker and, and manage and, and budget and cash flow at, at the same time. So I yeah. think there's, there's a lot to be said around that sort of customer centricity and being able to utilise a gateway as it really gives merchants a peace of mind, but it also gives consumers that, that speed to which they want to consummate these transactions. Yeah, and I suppose also, is it, uh, it's kind of almost segueing into the next question I wanted to ask, but with with the likes of, you know, like Apple Pay and Google Pay and, uh, you know, all the others, presumably if you're going through a gateway, you don't need necessarily, as long as you pick the right gateway, you don't necessarily need to do an integration into Apple Pay. That would just be appear as a payment type through the payment gateway. Is that is that right? I think, you know, Apple Pay and Google Pay are basically facilities that, that store your cards and your card details to enable yeah. the transaction to, to consummate. So it's it's different to the actual gateway itself, right? So I think the, right. the gateway is more around that validity and the transfer the, the Apple Pay and Google Pay are really just a, a storage, I guess, a storage facility to enable the transaction to be consummated. And as you know, uh, obviously people are using it a lot online, but the predominant yeah. case for the Apple Pay and Google Pay is in-store where effectively customers are just tapping and going. Right. I'm sounding confused because I am slightly. You're, uh, so <laughs> so, does that, so so let me let me replay this back check, and, and check my understanding. So with Apple Pay, that's just almost like a – a repository of pull downs he's uh, he's confirms who he says he is and he's got, got credit and so it just stores that bit of information that then feeds into the payment gateway process yeah i mean i'm sure you've got a an amex card or or a, you know a klarna card or a visa card or a whoever card you can effectively store that card in your apple or google wallet yeah. which is effectively their world which allows yeah. you to just utilize that payment source so they're not the payment source. They're actually just a facilitator of, of housing, uh, your choice of payment, if you like. Yeah, okay. Got it. Got it. Okay, fine. So that now definitely allows me to segue on to the next question, which is the, in the kind of, you know, the different payment approaches. We've got buy now, pay later. It's obviously after pay. Lots of people have heard of that. And there's Klarna and there's Zip as well. What, what are the differences, if any, between these platforms? There's a lot of differences between them. I mean, I, I think if we break it into two and look at like retailer differences and um, and consumer differences, yeah. it's, it's probably yeah. worth um, sort of unpacking both of those. Yeah. Um, if we start with retailers, um, you know, the, the buy now, pay later space has, has taken off because really the founders, whether it's the, the founders at Klarna, Afterpay or Zip, 
They identified that consumers were frustrated with a lack of visibility, transparency, flexibility, um, and, and the fact that if you wanted to have a credit card, it was a slow and staid process to do it. You know, you fill in an application form, you yeah. send it, you wait for the bank to send you the card, et cetera. Yeah. And so really they were all born out of wanting to deliver a customer-centric solution to retailers. And effectively what they saw was that, that credit cards were in decline as consumers became more and more digitally savvy. And what Buy Now Pay Leaders have managed to do as, as part of the, the products that they've built is deliver higher average order values, greater repeat purchase behaviour, far far less cart abandonment. And um, I guess one of the other key call-outs of what um, Buy Now Pay Leaders have been able to do is a, deliver new audiences and and, um, and different audiences, but B, actually support with data. So we know that businesses are completely obsessed with data and they all collect a lot of data. But what currently today happens is if, if a retailer, is, sorry, if a consumer is shopping and they're tapping cards, be that a debit card or a credit card, there's yeah. not a lot of information that is known about me as Fran or, or you as Paul. Yeah. Through Now Pay Later, however, we know where Paul lives, we know how much Paul earns in some cases. If we're obviously when you apply, if we're gathering that information, we actually yep. know what Paul's likes and dislikes are and, and where and where you're shopping, as an example. So we are able to say to a retailer, actually, do you know that every time Paul shops with you, he's buying some nappies with an Xbox 3 game? And they would go, oh, that's interesting. We could then look a bit further and go, well, actually, X percentage of your customers seem to be putting a baby product and an Xbox product together. And then a retailer goes, oh, wow, that's really interesting. We'd never thought about pairing those two products together. How do we put those products together to then obviously tap into a new segment that we're not tapping into? Or how do we capitalize on sales that we're already receiving uh, through the data that, that we're getting? So yeah. data is playing a really important role uh, in terms of the buy now, pay later. Now, when we think about the differences between the buy now, pay later platforms, all of them really exist and have proven over the years that that we do deliver, as I mentioned, the those variables like higher AOVs, lower abandonment, etc. Yeah. Where really that differentiation for the merchant comes in is all around. As as a retailer, I've got key objectives, and if we look at the pandemic and the impact that that's had on a lot of businesses and the increased drive to to digital transformation as a result, yeah. the number one objective of most retailers is to increase your bottom line and and or protect your bottom line. Yep. So really, where the the rubber hits the road with with payment providers and particularly buy now pay later is retailers have a great opportunity to truly partner with providers that are going to add value or have links to enabling what they're trying to achieve. Now, ways in which that can be done as an example are, say for an example, a retailer has seen that returns are increasing or that they're seeing a decline in in a particular, um, you know, online sales are, are booming, but in-store for the same customer is decreasing and they want to lift the in-store so ultimately that customer becomes more wealthy to them or more valuable to them. Yeah. Um, if you're working with the right partner, who has a desire to, to truly analyse data and, and look at how together they can deliver on that, then that becomes game-changing for, for retailers rather than just seeing a buy now, pay later as a supplier who is a means yep. to an end, right? Um, so, so that's just one way, I guess, on the, the merchant side that they can differentiate. 
On the retail, sorry, on the consumer side, I think it's far more fascinating. The the bulk of the buy now pay laters pride themselves on being responsible lenders and um, perform full know your customer and uh, credit checks. Um, there's only like one, I think, that doesn't today, which uh, mm-hmm. I think will change in, in time. Yep. I think that when you look at the product differentiation, you mentioned three players uh, just before, but there's, there's eight or nine in the space. Yep. And they're either an instalment-based product or, in the case of someone like Zip, they actually issue new funds. So fundamentally, the the role that um, they play is is slightly different and appeals to customers in different in different ways. So there's some differentiation in the product offering uh, for the consumer. One would potentially argue that where you've got a a site that now has five or six of of these buy now pay, pay later sitting alongside each other, and one says this many payments you know, four payments of this amount and one says from X per week and another one says five payments of and the next one says 10 payments of, one would argue that that's becoming quite confusing for the poor consumer who's probably yeah. sitting there going, holy crap, like what's the difference? Who should I go with? What does it mean? So I think from a consumer perspective, um, the differentiation really comes down to the the product offering and the value that the provider delivers to that consumer, which yep. can come in flexibility and transparency. So, in other words, knowing how much you've got to spend, knowing what that repayment frequency looks like and, and the amount. Yep. Um, but I also think probably the biggest differentiators that, um, you know, certainly um, we at Klarna tap into are personalization. So, if you think about the buy now, pay laters, um, a lot of them don't actually go out of their way to learn about you as the consumer. Mm-hmm. One of the things, as an example, that, that Klarna does is the minute you log into Klarna, we want to know what do you like, what do you not like, um, yeah. what are the, the product categories. So when you come back, we're actually serving you personal content. And I think that, again, would tie back into value for the merchant because if a merchant's got a new product, then if we know that that product category is important to you, Paul, or to, to Jane, then ultimately we can serve that content up to you and it will revolt, result in a warm lead converting for the retailer as opposed to just spraying to an entire database of customers because we don't actually know whether Paul is or isn't interested in yeah. you know, yoga mats or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, Go back to your first part of your answer around the credit cards. Why, and, and analysing the data, credit card companies have this data, presumably. Have they just not been asked to, to partner with with retailers in particular in the context of this conversation? Like, well, credit, cards, credit card um, companies don't actually have anything but the total amount that you spent at the retailer that you spent it. They aren't actually receiving individual basket data, which is a key differentiator for buy now pay as a whole. As as part of the way that we integrate and we're deeply integrated into the system yeah. within the, the retailer's environment, yeah. we're able to consume SKU level, product data, colour data, size yeah. data, pricing data. Yeah. And that enables us to obviously give that back to the merchant to use in the most effective way. Um, it also enables us to learn a lot more about the consumer behaviours, as I mentioned earlier. It's fascinating what you can see in terms of what consumers might be buying online versus in-store. And just looking at that as, as, as a subset and then working out, well, how do we make this valuable to the to the retailer and what can they do with that information to grow their sales? Um, right. That's really where I, I think um, partnership comes into it. I was just relating back to my credit card statement. So they know how much, they know that I'll have spent $200 in JD Sports, but they won't know on what. 
Absolutely. They, they don't know if you bought one pair of shoes or you bought 10 yeah. pairs of socks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And so, okay. So with that level of detail and an approach to partnership, then clearly you can engineer from that data, some information that will allow the retailers to whatever, make a, a, a more informed marketing choice as far as the brand communications they want to have with the retailer. Yeah, I think, you know, it goes a lot broader than that as well. If you think about the fact that because of the level of integration that, that buy now, pay laters have, we yeah. know exactly where you're shopping in terms of geographically. And we yeah. also can map the store locations, if you like, of the retailer. And we can basically see that people buying in this cluster are returning in this cluster, or yeah. we can actually see stores that are effectively cannibalizing each other. So the yep. value that we can deliver back to retailers is a lot broader than just being a payments provider. For, for those that actually go into the depths of, of, you know, using data scientists to analyse the data, yep. we can actually help retailers realise where they potentially should open stores that they don't have stores and close stores where they're actually already in close proximity to another store and effectively aren't, yep. aren't optimised. So there's lots of value and, and benefit outside of just the payments world of information that um, people perceive us to, to be good for. Yeah, okay. So then uh, uh, without this being a, a um, cloner pitch, but I'm going to ask the, the, the question. I think I know the answer. So between the different companies, I mean, it, you, you, you're quoting and, and, and quoting what you do um, and how you – add value to retailers do all of these bmpl solutions from a retailer's perspective offer that same level of engineering of data to be able to provide that that level of information or is that a differentiator it's an absolute differentiator um there, there's definitely more than just us that does do it but yeah. there should be no reason why everyone isn't doing it and and adding you know great greater value obviously it's great for us and we want to keep staying sure. ahead of the curve but sure. but there are certainly other companies utilizing data very wisely and smartly because they know it's a key differentiator yeah so that i mean there's a, the reason i'm asking that question is is, is it kind of segues to the next one it's like as a retailer should i you know should i have a strategy of having all these platforms i mean is it better to say well look, i'm going to offer the consumer all the choice of the eight or however many bmpl solutions there are today it could be you know more as we move forward or is that you know or is that going to be confusing for my consumer or do we say, you know, if they all provide slightly different services as far as they're, they're partnering, does it make sense to have them all? Because it gives me a very deep and rich understanding of how my consumer is behaving when they transact and return with me as a retailer. Yeah, look, you know, I think this is a really interesting question, but I think ultimately what it comes down to is what's right for you and the brand. If you put payments to the side, any partnership that as a retailer you embark on should be built off the back of the collaboration or the strategic endeavour that you're looking to achieve. So if you think about payments, um, there, there's two areas to it. One is that you want to offer choice because ultimately if the consumer doesn't see the way that they want to pay, that they could go elsewhere. Yeah. But the other thing is that, to your point earlier, you don't want to confuse customers. And I think that, you know, you, you can generally see what resonates with your brand and you can generally see and tell what resonates with your consumers. And so I think that there is certainly a, a smarter strategy to, to choose a few rather than many yeah. because, as I mentioned earlier, if, if you have a look at a, a number of retailer sites who have six or seven, it's very confusing for a, a customer who may be new to this segment 
to know. And really, it's the work of the the payment provider that should be keeping that customer engaged and delivering them to you. So I think it's very much around making sure there is choice, but making sure that that choice aligns with your strategic values and and direction. And it isn't just there because it's there. It needs to be there because it's serving you in some way, whether it's serving you with new customers, whether it's serving you with different audiences, whatever that is. I think it's really important just to, to align with providers that attract and service your core customers whilst obviously being the best possible pre and post purchase experience uh, locally and and now more than ever globally, to be quite honest, because you want to be able to offer global solutions, right, and consistency in in that experience. So I think you have to sort of look at all of those aspects, but I I certainly think less is more, but do believe choice is important. All right, that makes sense. It's actually one more question from from before when you're saying that the, the BMPL solutions deliver higher you know higher average order value higher conversion rates why is that is it is it because of the the the, uh, i guess better targeting the consumers through through the information that um that we've just talked about because i know when when years ago when afterpay first started yeah my advice was look just put it in because conversion rates go up right it doesn't matter what the yeah. sector is, you know, had arguments of people overselling pillows and no one would want an afterpay bedding and no one would want an afterpay pet food. And in it went and the conversion rates went up, Yeah, in your opinion. I think it's because of the flexibility in terms of the repayment. So if you think about a debit card, the, the money in your account is there to pay your rent, to buy yeah. your, you know, to, to live and whatever else. And and you know how much you've got available. So your, your available discretionary spend is obviously finite. If you look at buy now, pay later, you know that your next salary is coming in in a week or two weeks, which means that you can afford to spend that little bit more because you know you can pay for it, right? And and I think that that's obviously what drives A, the increased basket size, but B, also the conversion because instead of me going, oh, I'd really love that dress, but I'm, you know, I, I need to wait for my next paycheck. I go, actually, I can get that dress and quite easily pay for it because I'm, I'm getting my, my funds yeah. next week or, or, or whatever. So I think it's a symptom of the, the ability to give that flexibility to the consumer to choose their repayment or to be able to repay over a period of time that really does drive those two, to be honest. Mm, okay. All right. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So uh, sort of, I think last question. So in our last episode, um, when I was talking to Rob, we were talking about fulfillment and the fact that consumers will abandon carts and potentially go elsewhere if their shipping option they want isn't there. What's your view with regards to, to payments? Is this a similar ph- phenomenon in payments, would you say? Yeah, I think um, I think you and I have had a number of conversations on this topic specifically, I guess, having come out of, you know, Tomando many years ago and the research just categorically saying that if a consumer doesn't see the option they want, they move on to the next site because most brands are available through multi-channels and, and ultimately the consumer and the brand win. It's just the channel in which they're going to win through. What we're seeing is that there is a large degree of that, particularly uh, in in the payment space as well, that if somebody is affiliated or has an emotional connection to a payment provider and they don't see that payment provider, they're they're demonstrating the same behaviours and going to the next site or the next channel that that can enable them to to basically purchase through it. So I definitely think that... um, you know, that is there. I think that it's going to actually become more and more important because if you look at the way and the pace at which payments and this landscape is changing, yeah, it's 
all about customer experience. It's all about taking away friction, making it more seamless, you know, making it quicker, making it easier. And with that, obviously, means that consumers then become fixated on finding those experiences to consummate their transactions. So I think it's going to get more and more prominence, to be honest, as opposed to now it's, you know, people will go, okay, well, they don't have my choice. I'll go to the next site that will. But I think you'll find that that will, will become sort of the, the linchpin between the conversion and, and not in the same way that it is with fulfillment these days. Okay, that's great. Now, I think you've answered my, my last question in that, in that one, which is, you know, we keep hearing about fintech. How would you define it? But I think maybe you just have. Would you, would you add anything more to that? So I was, my question is kind of like, how would you define it? What is it? And um, is it something I need to have a strategy for? I think we've answered all those, but I think it's maybe a good way for you to summarise and we can, we can wrap up. Yeah, look, I, I think the thing about fintech is it, it encompasses, if you like, any kind of technology that is supporting financial services, be that for businesses or consumers or from end to end. And really what it describes is, any company that's delivering a service through software or other technology and including things, as you know, now like mobile payments, but also cryptocurrency, right? So I think that what we've seen with the, the fintech space is it's continuously being disrupted and will continue to be disrupted. So the most important thing rather than a strategy, I think that retailers need to, to do is actually keep up to date with the current trends and technology and consistently educate their teams and themselves Find trusted advisors that you're happy to lean on to understand, well, should I learn about cryptocurrency? Is there any relevance to my business about cryptocurrency? Mobile payments, what's going to happen? Is it going to change? What are the trends we're seeing? What do we think is going to come to Australia? So I think it's less about a strategy and more about actually having people you can rely on and trust to, to better understand what it all means and to break it down so that you can stay uh, at the the head of the pack yep. and and not be followers but rather be leading the way with in embracing new technology in in the fintech space perfect sage advice fran thank you very much for for answering my questions just before we go if anybody wants to um get in touch with you how do they how do they contact you they can either reach out through LinkedIn or they're welcome to contact me at uh, at Klarna. Um, it's just fran.arera at klarna.com Perfect. Okay, Fran, thank you very much once again. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Now, I really enjoyed talking to Fran today, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to us. If you're interested in learning more about the Realtail Customer Experience Report, just go to www.itworks.company forward slash the Realtail, and there you can find more information and some examples of the Customer Experience Report.